morning. I want to start this morning by, uh, by turning into Ecclesiastes, if you'd like to turn there. Um, we're going to read just a little bit of a passage that you have heard many times. Um, many times, probably more than once, which is what many times means. Uh, but you've probably heard it uh, re- written, uh, read, but you've probably also heard it saying, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born, time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. God has granted uh, all you who believe what? Now, I'm not necessarily ask, asking for an answer. Uh, we could be here for a while. But God has granted all you who believe what? You know, have you ever stopped and thought about what, what it is that we have been given, that we have been granted, that we have been blessed with, when we respond to the call that God has placed on us. God has granted you who believe, you who are uh, obedient, you who have, have chosen to respond to this gift, this free gift of grace that he is offering through Jesus Christ his Son, whom he chose, you know, he, he chose to have an eternal life in heaven with him. And this cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. It cannot be stated enough that we have, when we come into a right relationship with God, with our God who is the creator, that we then are at peace with that God. That we are at peace with him. And previous to that, we were not. And if we're not going to be obedient, if we're not going to live a life of faith and obedience, then we are not going to be found at peace with God. Right? We cannot just sit and be comfortable and say, well, you know, I was a Christian uh, because I was baptized however many years ago, months, days, whatever, ago, and say, well, now it doesn't really matter what I do because, you know, grace covers all. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, then you are quite literally putting your eternal soul in jeopardy of death an eternal death and if we talk about eternity and often when we talk about eternity we talk about eternity as uh, this wonderful amazing thing because we're gonna we're gonna get to spend it with God right and that and that's truly what it is but there is an eternity regardless of whether you have a relationship with God or not you will have an eternity your soul will be eternal but if you're clinging to this, this kind of hope that says, well, God is so loving and so kind that it doesn't matter what I do because he's just a cute little cuddly, cuddly teddy bear that he won't ever, ever, 
ever condemn me to this eternity of separation from him, this, this eternity of death, well, obviously, that's not reality. Wayne talked about it around the table. There, there is a God who loves us, who created us, who wants us to be close to him, but has told us what will happen if we're not. Has told us what will happen if we choose to ignore the call that he has given us. So if you're sitting here today without a relationship with God, you're putting your eternal soul in jeopardy, in jeopardy of an eternal separation from God and eternal death. And there is absolutely nothing worse than that. Often we'll, we'll use the phrase or we'll, we'll say the phrase, oh man, that's the worst. That, that is just the worst. And we'll be talking about, you know, some random experience we've had or, or something that we've, we've been a part of or some, uh, you know, we've fell prey to some kind of marketing and think that the, the telemarketer tells the truth and it's going to be this amazing thing. And then it's the worst. And if we can kind of joke about it, then it's probably not, probably not the worst. But it, an eternity of separation from God is the worst. It is the absolute worst outcome that can await us after this life is over. We look at all of the fallout of what sin does in our world while there's still hope, while there's still a creator. This is still God's world. And we look at the fallout and how devastating sin is, how terrible it is in a world with hope. Imagine, just for a second, what it's going to be like then if you take out the light, if you take out hope, if you take out God from the equation, and it's going to be so absolutely terrible that we cannot even begin, begin to even scratch the surface of how devastating it will be to be separated from God. And that's what eternal death is going to be if we do not have a relationship with God. And so we need that. We need to do what it says in, in Acts chapter 2, right? When they're cut to the heart. We need to repent. And we need to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we need to continue living in faith. And responding to the call that God has given us. To take on the attributes that he has called us to. And to not give up doing good. And just hold on to the name of Christian. But to continue to do what is good. To aspire to be all that God wants us to be. To be holy because He is holy. So if you're sitting here this morning and yet have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, my question to you is why? And if you happen to not be listening at that moment, I'll ask it again. Why? Why, why do you not have a relationship with God? Why, why are you keeping yourself from a relationship with God, the God who is reaching out His hand to you, the God who wants to save you? Why are you ignoring it? Why, why do these words, not, not my words, but the words of Scripture that we've read, why do they fall on deaf ears? Why, why are you making decisions that turn you away from the God who loves you? 
And if you're going to be honest with yourself and ask those questions and not slough it off as just, oh, well, that's another lesson not Sunday that I've heard, but actually ask yourself those questions. Why? I hope you come to an answer that is honest, that says there's no reason why I should be the way that I am. When grace is so freely offered, when peace is so freely offered, when God is so clearly reaching out his hand to us, longing for us to be his children, longing for us to be saved, longing for us to be a part of this kingdom that he has established. So why are we choosing then to be disobedient? Why would we choose to continue to be an enemy of God's? So what should we do in response to the message of the gospel? It was read for us a couple times already this morning. What do we need to do? What's the answer? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I mean, that's not the only passage that talks about it. We have to have a life of faith. We have to, we have to respond, but, but repent and be baptized. Turn your life over to God for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to the cross and have your sins forgiven in the only way that they possibly can. Through the cleansing power of, of Jesus' blood. You must repent and be baptized. You must live in faith. We all, we all have to do this. We all have to be obedient. Repentance is not a one-time deal. I repented 50 years ago. I'm done with that now. Well, that, That's not how repentance works. We all have to do this. We all have to, to be on board with being obedient and understanding that, that we can't just say, well, I don't sin. Well, anyone who claims to be without sin is what? It's another kind of harsh lesson in Scripture. Anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar and doesn't know God. God is not in them. We repent. We come to God. We won't have an obedient, humble servant, a relationship with God. And that doesn't conclude at baptism. It begins this life of service to the King so that we can have an eternity with God. And that's the flip side of that eternity, that we get to have an eternity with our Creator. We get to have an eternity with this God who loves us, this God who is our Creator, this God who is amazing. And it is beyond the spectrum of what we can begin to even even analyze or describe how great and amazing it will be to be with God. Just as the flip side is, is so devastating, we have a hard time explaining it adequately. But heaven is going to be so great eternity will be so great the glory and splendor of our lord if you turn into revelations you know revelations talks a lot about uh, the idea of what is to come it describes for us um, and it's kind of a profound book in that way that it talks about a lot of uh, uh, things that are ahead and, and yet we, we kind of shy away from it in some aspects because there's a lot of it that um, seem to be confusing. A lot of things that we, because it's described and pictured for us, that we have a hard time wrapping our, our brains around. And some of that is, is the prophecy involved uh, in it. Uh, but some of it is not confusing at all. And it talks a, a great deal of, uh, well, it's a vision of things to come, right? It describes for us of these things that are going to happen, these things that are, are, are about to happen, these things that are, are, are just on the verge 
of, of happening. So go into Revelations chapter 1, and it describes for us this in this kind of this prologue. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So, obviously, he talks about things that must soon take place. So these are things that must soon take place. There are events, happenings, all these things that will unfold. Now, time is a relative thing, right? You tell someone that uh, we'll go this place soon. And what does that mean? If your boss says, I want you to get this done ASAP, what does he mean? Well, he means soon, as in like you should be doing it already. Uh, if you tell your kid, well, we'll go to the store soon. What do you mean? Well, you might mean in the next week, two weeks. Um, they're not being good it might just be longer than that so uh, soon is kind of a relative thing and, and so when soon talks about here this is the things that are going to happen right these are these are on the verge of happening now often when we talk about heaven in this the standing before God this time what what are we talking about often when we talk about that soon is relative because we only have life to live right and at the end of our life these things will take place now we don't know how long time will actually how much time will actually unfold between our life and when Christ returns, but it's happening soon. And so we understand that there is a, there is a need to respond. There is a need to respond as though the thief is coming tonight, right? Because we don't have a way of prolonging the soon, right? Now, we may, we may still be alive when Christ returns again. We may not. Regardless of all that, the soon is within our lifetime, really, of how long we have as individuals to respond. Now, there might be generations that come after us, but that doesn't really affect our lifetime of choice. So we take this soon to be within our lifetime, right? Because that's all we really have. Now, the that's not saying the coming of Christ will happen within our lifetime, but the call to be with God will happen within our lifetime, whether it comes in the coming of Christ or the end of our physical life on earth. So, this must take place, or this soon will take place. And then it says, and I want us to jump into verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, or take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So, there's two blessings there. The first is for what? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So there's a blessing just in, in, in reading this and understanding the things to come, of knowing what God has, has given to John in this and this is why it's written down for us so that we can go through it. So I'll ask this question. When's the last time you read aloud the book of Revelations or read aloud Scripture? It's an interesting thing because often when we go and we read, it's almost always silent reading. We'll go and we'll see it. But there's something unique and powerful to actually read it aloud. And often when we go to read... Uh, and this isn't a knock on anyone, but when we go to read, I can see within some faces there's a disengagement. So when we say, uh, do you want to follow along? And some people will get out their books and they'll follow along. But by and large, we just kind of just sit back and say, well, I will allow that to be read to me. But I think there's something powerful in actually going through the words and following along as it's being read aloud. 
It says, blessed are you uh, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. There's, there's a kind of a connection to it if we go through it. And so I would encourage us not to just overlook this and say, well, you know what, that's okay. I don't maybe need this blessing. Well, it's there for a reason, for us to understand it, for us to actually have it impact us. Because the next blessing is what? Not only are you supposed to read it aloud, but you're supposed to do what? And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. So instead of there being a disconnect, we actually then bring it in and are connected to it and then allow it to change us, allow it to impact us, allow us to take it to heart. If we, if we take a, a disconnect from when Scripture is read or when Scripture is being looked at or studied and we say, well, I don't really need to pay attention because I do this every week and I'll pay attention when I feel like it, there's a disconnect between Scripture and our heart. And, and quite honestly, that's what Satan wants. He wants there to be a, a disconnect between us and Scripture, our hearts, and God's will for us. So then we can make decisions and choices, and it becomes easier for our, our conscience to kind of be pushed aside because we don't have this connection to what God has called us to do or be that is actually heartfelt. So I guess my encouragement is this for us to have it be heartfelt. Well, how do we do that? So when, when Scripture is next being read aloud... Uh, how many of us are going to pull out our Bibles and follow along? You don't have to put your hands up or show of hands, but, but, but I would encourage us to do that, to connect. Connect to it. And so we have, we have Bibles in all, the, in all the pews, and if there isn't a Bible in your pew, we'll make sure that there is a Bible in your, in your pew, or you could bring one, and, and then we'll, we'll just have all these, and we can just follow along, that there is a connection there, that we are invested as Christians in the will of God, in the Word of God. And not just take for granted that what's being read is accurate. We've talked about this at other times. Uh, that there'll be times when someone comes up and reads and misses a line. Might be a really important line, but they missed it. They didn't do it intentionally. Uh, would, you, would you catch it if you hadn't been following along? Well, if it was maybe a real, really well-known passage, you might say, wait a second, that's not how that passage goes. I'm pretty sure there's another word or two in there. But that's a kind of a warning sign to us if, if it can be read and us not know that a line was missed. To be connected. You know, there's a blessing in that, right? There's a blessing in being connected to God's Word and knowing what's going to take place. And that's why he tells us this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Don't let it bypass your heart. Take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. You jump down later in the passage of, of Revelation chapter 1. Uh, in verse 17 it says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet and as though dead. Then he placed his, his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. A vision of things to come. You know, we're talking about... The, he who is the first and the last. And we're talking about having a connection to not only God's will, but the word of God. That we're having an understanding then of him who is the first and the last. As is described for us of what God has done so that we can have salvation. And if we want to have a connection to God that is proper and right and biblical and godly, how, where do we find that? If we want to have a connection to him as who is the first and the last, how do we know that? Well, there is uh, 
Many a cult that will tell you that the religious leader knows how to come to God. Right? And you have to turn to that specific religious leader, and he's the only one that has an avenue or a truth to God. And what do we call those things? I gave it away in saying what it was. It's a cult, right? I'm not going to stand up here and say that I am the only one that knows how to get to God. That's, that would be... Uh, yeah, you could drag me off the stage at that point. Uh, the, the, the truth is we open up God's word and the word that God has given us through his will, through his spirit, we have an understanding then of how to get to God is through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He who is the first and the last. We have to have that connection to him. So when we talk about having a heart for these things, that, that's, the, that's where we are being led to, right? Is an obedience and a closeness to him. The, the very, we're not going to read all of Revelations, but at the very end of Revelations, so we, we read a little bit in the first, then we'll go to the very end. But at the very end of Revelations, again, it talks about uh, what's going to happen. And so we talk about this happening soon and this closeness that we're going to have. And, and what ends up happening is, is kind of a restoration, is that we are restored. And beyond that, it says, uh, let's go back into verse 1. Then the angel showed me, so this is verse 1 of Revelations chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. This idea of restoration. And one of the very first keys of that, of being restored, is life. We want to have a connection to God. If we want to, if we want to actually have a heart for God and follow the will of God, then what actually ends up happening is that we are given life, right? That we are given life and we are given life eternal. In fact, the Scripture tells us that we have this life and we'll live it and we'll have it in abundance, right? This abundance of life or the the newness of life, and this happens only through through Jesus. This happens only through having our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, by what he has done on the cross. But we come to this place then that will, will, will provide life. In the very first part of that, it says, there will be the, the river of the water of life. And on each side of that, each side of the river, so the tree of life, bearing its fruit. You know, when sin first came into the world, when sin first came into the world, we could go back into Genesis and look, what happens? What's one of the first fallouts of sin coming in? He says to them, well, if they are going to, eat of the tree of knowledge, right? Then they can't live in the garden anymore because they no longer, because of this knowledge of evil, no longer can they eat of the tree of life. We who are restored, we who are brought back, will have the ability to do what? Have life, right? We'll have this, this life because of, because of him to be restored. Second to that, second to that, it says that in verse uh, 3, no longer will there be any curse we we live daily um, with the pain and sorrow that is caused by sin 
really the, the turmoil of sin, which leads to death. And, and the hurt of all that sin shows itself as. We talk about pride, or we can talk about anger, or we can talk about all these, these other sins that Scripture describes for us. All of these things that are a missing of the mark. All of these things that are, are going against the will of God. And we see the fallout over and over and over again of what sin does in our world. And we are still restored to life, this life of eternity with God there will no longer be any curse. How many of you are waiting for that day? Just anticipating how amazing and wonderful that day will be. To no longer have that. To no longer have sorrow. To no longer have tears or pain. To, to, to just know that we are in the presence of God. To the point where it says we don't even need any light anymore there won't be a need for the lamp there won't be a need for the sun because we are immersed in the presence of god and he is the light that he will he will provide says for the lord god will give them light and they will reign forever and ever how, how amazing does that sound how awesome does that sound how, how truly wonderful is that and that comes to those who are going to be have this kind of restoration they'll be restored through Jesus Christ. And we're a part of that now, even though that's going to take place at a, at a future time. We're a part of that kingdom now. And so there is life awaiting us. There is a place where there's no longer any curse, where He will be the light. Darkness is, well, especially as winter rolls around for us, and, and we go outside and it's five o'clock and already darker than we want it to be. And it's just, I spend a little bit of time in Yellowknife. Uh, and one of the things that, that got to me and the reason, not the reason we moved but one of the reasons that I, I didn't want to live there anymore was one, minus 50 is, is not good um, no, uh, minus 30 is bad but minus 50 on a daily basis is wrong um, but the darkness you'd go to work and it was dark and you it was just dark all day now, the flip side of that, it was light all, all day in the summer, but, but just dark all day, and, and the darkness just weighs on you. And I think that's the reality of the world we live in. It's not in, only in a physical sense, but the darkness in, in a spiritual sense of, of sin and, and the weight of it is a burden in this world. And there's only one way of lifting that burden. And there's only one way of ultimately lifting that burden for an eternity. And that's to be with God. To be in the presence of Him who is holy and righteous. Him who is without blemish. Who is our Creator. And He provides this life for us. So that there is no, no more darkness. The absolute wonder. Go down into, again into Revelation chapter 22. But jump into verse 12, and it says this. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, 
the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Look, I am coming soon. We better be ready for that. Because the next phrase is, I will give to each person according to what they have done. Have you washed your robes? You know, it talks about that in kind of an interesting phrase, right? Blessed are those who wash their robes. I can tell you quite honestly, I don't own a robe. I'm not sure if any of you do. It probably is not talking about this in an actual physical sense, is it? Blessed are you who wash your robes without wrecking them, without turning them some strange pink color. No, just those who wash their robes. What does it mean to be cleansed? What does it mean to be washed? What does it mean to be prepared for him who is coming soon? What does it mean that it says that I will give to each person according to what they have done? And then immediately after that tells us to, to be blessed by washing yourself, to wash your robe, to be cleansed. Without it, it says you will not have the right to the tree of life. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. There is only one path to this. There is only one answer to this. is Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we, we spend time, not only that, but because we're commanded to, but, but that's why we spend so much time talking about Jesus. That's why we spend so much time talking about the cross. That's why we spend so much time talking about his death, his burial, and resurrection. Because there is only one way to have our sins washed away. The atoning sacrifice. Wash your robes. The next thought is, is one that says, and if you do, they says they have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Again, most of our, our cities no longer have gates. They no longer have walls to protect them. And so sometimes we maybe miss the, the, the power of that analogy of being actually in the city, of being protected by the walls, of being protected and, and knowing that you're secure as opposed to being out and if an enemy came or advanced on you you'd be defenseless outside the gates of the city but do we understand the difference of being outside versus being inside or vice versa the difference of being inside versus being outside you know we've been talking a lot about uh, heaven to this morning we're talking a lot about hell and and being accountable for the things that we've done and there is a vast vast difference between being outside and being inside and the only way to get inside the city is what through the gate and who is the gate you know how do we do that how do we how do we accomplish that of going inside the city of being a, a part of this as opposed to being on the outside Again, there's only, there's only one way, but I hope we understand the difference. I hope we understand what this analogy is telling us, what the, these words are telling us, the truth of these things, that we do not want to stand before our God, before the judgment seat of Christ, and be found on the outside looking in at these things. 
Being found as someone who is, as it says here, a practicer of magic arts or sexually immoral or murderers or adulterers or everyone who loves, that which is false. And that will be anyone who has turned away from the truth, right? Who has not responded to the gift that God has called them to, the gift of grace. Go on, it says. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plague described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testified these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Did you catch the, the wording there? It says, uh, Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Do you thirst? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you, do you thirst for the water of life? Do you, do you long for that? Do you, do you actually have this physical response that desires to be a part of it? You know, it's interesting. We can go uh, quite a few days, quite a long time without food, right? Just the way our, our bodies are made. How long can we go without water? Some kind of some kind of drink, something that water is in at least. How long can we go? Anybody know the exact time frame on that? It's not very long. It's, it's really not very long. Our bodies need it. Do we thirst? Do we thirst for God? Do we have this, this daily desire to be close to Him? This, this hourly anticipation of being with Him? Are you thirsty for righteousness? Are you thirsty for an eternity with God do you hunger and thirst for him there is this this time of restoration this time where we be restored where we get to be with God again as it was when he created the world in perfection it's a vision of things to come right a vision of things to come and yet we have to respond he says look I'm coming soon and we have to we have to respond before that comes. I want to I wanna close this, this morning by reading a, another passage. And this passage actually comes from the book of Romans. So if you'd like to turn there, Romans chapter 8. The, uh, I don't know if scoundrel is the right word, but the scoundrel in me wanted to, to read this and misalign to see if any of you would notice. I'm not going to do that, but I, I would encourage you to, to follow along as we talked about, about earlier. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up also for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us go ahead now. Stand and sing.